In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Please be seated. This week I chose for us to read the Hebrew reading from the Apocrypha, rather from our usual canon of the Old Testament. Sirach, known as Ecclesiasticus. Sirach is a teacher. He's a teacher during the time in between the two testaments, right? There's depending on the scholar you read, two to four hundred years in between our testaments, right? During that time, the temple is rebuilt. And so we have what is called Second Temple Judaism, right? Then the first temple was destroyed, and then God's people were in exile in Babylon. When they came back, they rebuilt the temple, and it is in this second temple Judaism that we find Jesus being born. So it's worth it for us to read some of this stuff, right? <laughs> to get to know the type of faith and teaching that Jesus was being taught himself. Now, interestingly, around this time as well, you had all these philosophies that had built up, and you had philosophers who were the teacher, and they would gather students around them, and they would argue it out, right? And so these disciples that, want, that went with these teachers learned and uh, took on their philosophy of life. This was part of sort of the melee that was happening in the midst. And in Jerusalem, they would even be preaching and teaching in the forecourt of the temple. All this exchange of ideas, philosophies back and forth. Sirach is teaching during that time. And so he gathers a condensation of Jewish teaching and wisdom and puts it in a format that would be easy to that ear, the Hellenistic ear, to hear, right? So he's not teaching something that sounds terribly foreign in the marketplace of ideas, but it is definitely Jewish teaching. I truly commend to you the book of Sirach. It's fascinating. It contain, contains great wisdom, but it also sort of contains a flavor of what was going on in the world at that point. Our portion of Sirach today includes his teaching on giving to God and especially the spirit of our giving. Now, interestingly, and I believe this is unique in all of Scripture, he specifically admonishes his students to not offer God a bribe. Okay, that's pretty clear, right? <laughs> when you say a bribe, you know what people are talking about. Nowhere else in Scripture do we have something put so plainly that frankly is lived out in this exact way. Would that it wasn't true, but how many of our Christian brothers and sisters are taught this method 
of relating to God. If I just give, especially if I give like the pastor gives, then maybe God will bless me like he does with, you know, with a Mercedes Benz or whatever it is, right? That prosperity gospel. I'm somehow bribing God to give me what I want, like God is some big vending machine in heaven. <laughs> the thing, though, is the opposite of this is where the barb is. Because if we don't, if we, if we don't get what we want, if we have suffering in our life, then it's our fault. That means that we haven't given enough. We haven't given in the right way. And so what begins as this idea of how to get what you need becomes, frankly, in my mind, blasphemy that attacks the very character of God. Bribing God is an unfortunate yet accurate description of, frankly, a lot of Western Christianity. It's unfortunate. It's, un it's, it's completely against what Jesus taught, and yet it's out there. Now, Sirach also goes on to say, do not rely on a dishonest sacrifice. Now, Dishonest sacrifices. To my mind, as I'm pondering this, this is about the quality and character of the sacrifice, not necessarily that it's ill-gotten gains that we are given, but it's cheap. A dishonest sacrifice is one that really costs us nothing. And because it costs us nothing, it means nothing to us. And that's the thing about Christian discipleship. It's supposed to cost us something that's baked in to the following of Jesus Christ because it's supposed to involve a commitment, a commitment that is an invitation to live as Jesus lived, with sacrifice, and service to others. Think of it like Bonhoeffer's idea of cheap grace. Cheap grace costs nothing and therefore means nothing. We walk around these living examples of Jesus Christ in the world and we forget that we carry that. We enjoy and indulge in our privilege. We do. It puffs us up with pride. It gives us assumptions of all sorts of notoriety and power and authority. And that's why the privilege of walking as Christ did is a curative for that. Because the privilege of being a Christian is the privilege to serve. The privilege to serve others. Because our giving 
is in response to God's overwhelming and freely bestowed grace on all of us. It's about our relationship to God and a recognition, a gratitude for all that God has given us because everything we have, everything we are, belongs to God, is given to us for a season. The property we have as well as the people in our lives are gifts from God. The time, the intellect we have, all come from God. So how will we use those to serve others? Sirach is teaching his students and us today the true meaning of those two great commandments that were the two pillars of Jesus' own teaching. They are twins, really. Love God above everything else. Love neighbor as self. You really can't do one without the other. Because if we say we love God and then we go and treat our neighbor like junk, we're liars. It's that simple. And when we treat our neighbor as we would want to be treated, God is there. It is the very evidence of any faith that we have. That's the thing, though. Attitude. Attitude is everything. Loving God with all of ourselves is about holding on to all that we have so lightly that when we can use it to bless another, we let it go. We release it, right? It's an attitude that begins with gratitude to God. Now, in our gospel teaching today, Jesus tells this familiar story of two men come to pray and give in the temple. One is very sure. He is so sure of his superior position in society, his superior piety. He sort of rattles off this list of who he's not and then rattles off a list of all he does uh, as if God really needed his resume to accept his prayers and offerings, right? And, and instead of recognizing God's unmerited grace, right? He believes that he himself is actually the source of his superiority and God's blessing, that's just a rubber stamp, really, on what we all know. He's the best. Instead, though, we also see the tax collector. A tax collector, remember, was a man hated in the Jewish community, hated as a traitor, as a conspirator with the Romans, because it was literally this man's job to stand in a booth gathering taxes from his own people and by doing so, currying favor with Roman officials and having a chance to skim off the top and put into his own pockets. This hated man comes and he's eaten up with guilt over his profession, 
He denies any qualities that might give him a reason to presume on God's grace. Instead, he cries out to God. He beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. No excuses, no boasting, no laundry list of things he needs. Just an honest plea from a man trying to do his best in life and failing. Jesus, astonishingly, assures his listeners that it was the tax collector who went home with more justification than the Pharisee did that day. That's an incredible thing to say, especially to this audience of people. The thing is, though, we need to hear it because too often, too, too often, we find ourselves standing in the posture of the Pharisee. By way of example, I'm going to give you a story from my own younger days when I had just come from small-town Florida life into New York City. About six months after I moved to New York, I decided to go to the fabled Cathedral of St. John the Divine, the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Now, I had been raised in a community that we would call lousy with Baptists. Uh, Nobody knew, nobody knew what an Episcopalian was. And then I got to New York, and I saw magnificent Episcopal churches on every other corner, it felt like. I was stunned by these unbelievable edifices, by the congregations gathered there. And I got puffed up with pride. This was the hick kid come to the big town, and all of a sudden she's in with the elite and the polite. And I got puffed up. And it was in that spirit of pride, unfortunately, that I approached the magnificent staircase that leads to the entrance of the cathedral. There were folks, as typically are, in public spots, sitting on the stairs, inhabiting that space. Um, Many who were homeless, many who were out of work, but who spent a long time on those stairs. One of those men approached me as I began to ascend the stairs, saying, watch out, ma'am, these stairs are tricky. You want me to help you up? Now, I was on my way to my cathedral, in my new city. No way did I need anybody's help, thank you very much. Now, of course, you know the punchline to the story already. I got about halfway up, tripped, fell flat on my face. And who was there to help me up? It was a man who'd offered me help to begin with. He came to my elbow and said, matter-of-factly and quietly, yes, ma'am, these stairs, they sure are tricky. Let Let me help you up. I let him help me up. The rest of the journey up those stairs saw my prideful and lofty attitude fall 
it was stripped from me because I recognized in that instant this was not my cathedral. This was his home. He lived here. He knew every nook and cranny of that place. He was offering me help because he lived his days on those stairs. He knew those stairs just as well as any of us knew, know our own homes. When we got to the top of the stairs, I thanked him, I gave him what I could, and I entered God's house in a proper spirit that day. God certainly used this man for my own soul's correction. And I actually believe that that man was God to me that day, offering me help, showing me the way, comforting me without judging it after I'd blown it right in front of him. Attitude. Attitude is such a big part of our problem because we forget that all that we are and all that we have comes from God. And that Christ Jesus has showed us the way. We live in gratitude, in humility, in service that leads us to love God and our neighbor as we ought because we are the living gospels that walk out of this place and into the world. Are we going to live as Christ lived? Are we going to have that testimony as part of our life? Or are we going to stand proudly and not let anything or anyone come near us, lest they must our privilege. The thing is, if we begin each day in gratitude, God will change our attitude. It works. But we have to take the time and we have to be present in front of God. We have to take stock of our lives. And we have to recognize that everything we do in life is a reaction to the blessed understanding of the truth of God's grace in our lives. As we say our prayers today, as we live our lives this week, let's begin, begin in gratitude. And then allow God to lift us from there so that we might be a blessing we might live a life of compassion and service and sacrifice. Amen.